Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. That's one of those gospel lessons that after you've read it, you're tempted not to say, thanks be to God, or praise be to God. But we had one of those last week as well, and we're entering the end of the church year. Now, for the end of our year, December 31st, right? The end of the church year is right up until Advent. Advent is the start of a new year. And almost all of the readings leading up into Advent, and many of the readings of Advent, are dark, judgment-filled, and apocalyptic. And we can't pretend like they're not there. Last week, we read about the five women, the five young women who are locked out of a marriage feast for failing to keep their lanterns lit. The message of that text, as Jake told us, was, wake up to keep watch, keep watch for the return of Christ. And these five young women were not ready, and so they were locked out of the marriage feast. Today's text has a very similar message. In it, we have a master. We have three slaves. One slave was given, the the master goes to a faraway land, gives one slave five talents, one two, and one one. Now, a talent is worth 6,000 denarii. A a denarii is a day's wages, so a talent is 20 years' wages. So the person who was given the five talents was given 100 years' wages. I I would just take the one talent. I would... Love that. Maybe just put it in the stock market, let the miracle of compound interest do, do what it does. But in this, the, the master goes away, and he entrusts his servants with this, and he entrusts them to act upon it. So the one with a five, right, does some business ventures and gets five more. And when the master comes back, the, he's overjoyed. Hey, look, master, I, not just do I have your five, but I have five more. And the master says to him, well done, good and faithful slave. And then the same thing happens again with the the slave with two talents. I've got two more. Here you go. And it is the exact same response. Well done, good and faithful slave. But this parable is rhetorically leading us to the end. It's leading us to the one with the one talent. And the person with the one talent says, master, I knew that you were a harsh man. Essentially, I didn't want to lose this, so I buried it in the ground. Here it is. I didn't blow it. I didn't lose it. Here you have it. And instead of the master saying, well, good thing you didn't blow it, no, the master says, you wicked and slothful slave. And it gets pretty intense. says, you will go out out into outer darkness. There is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So how do we make sense of this text? Because this text is a lot like last week's, and it's a lot like ones that we'll see in the upcoming weeks. Well, I think before we get into that, we have to take note that the third slave chose security and safety over risk. That seems to be kind of the message in a nutshell. The last week, the message was to keep awake. This week's message is, while awake, boldly use the gifts that God has given you until Christ has come again. So that's what being awake 
looks like in Matthew. And next week, we'll see it even more intense. Maybe you're familiar with the parable of the sheep and the goats. One of the harshest parables in all of scripture. Matthew kind of builds up to that one. So we'll see this even more. But for Matthew, Matthew doesn't want us to just keep awake and to keep watch. Matthew wants us to boldly serve Christ until he comes again. Serve Christ, serve your neighbor. This is Matthew's law. In fact, Matthew makes it super intense next week. Matthew says if you're not feeding those who are hungry, not welcoming the stranger, not visiting those in prison, if you are not serving the least of these, you are not serving me. That is Matthew's law. And it is a heavy weight. Matthew, the same one who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A few chapters later we get to this and like, whatever happened to that yoke being easy and burden being light thing? And as we know, as St. Paul makes clear, the law is holy, righteous, and good. It's good for us and it's good for our neighbor. But if this were the ultimate word in scripture on how God relates to his people, it would seem rather depressing. For as Jake said last week, there are many days when he knows that he's asleep. And I'll just speak for myself too. Most days, I'm in a daze or asleep. And not only that, but most days, I choose safety and security over risk. Maybe that's partially my personality, but that's just my reality. When I read passages like last week's and today's as the ultimate word of scripture for you and for me, it actually ends up having the opposite of the intended effect. Instead of wanting to take more risks, I get fearful and I double down on safety and security. I only, I always do good things and I never do bad things and my imagination on how to go from there is, is nothing. In fact, I tend to get so self-obsessed, self-absorbed, worried about my own personal righteousness that I get so wrapped into myself that I'm not really looking outward or to my neighbor much at all. But thankfully, this word is not the ultimate word of the scriptures. This is not the kerygma. This is not the good news of the gospel. You see, the kerygma is what St. Paul makes clear that for you and me there is now therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus went to the cross for sleepers like you and me who so often don't do what lies within us. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he is the master. The master who has all of the talents, who took the place of the one with one talent, who went into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth so that we might not. That is what the cross is. That is what Matthew, just a couple chapters later, is going to talk about for the rest of his gospel. That is what we mean when we say in the creed, he descended into hell. 
or I think in right one we say descended to the dead. He went to outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth because he loves us so much that he wants nothing to do with us being there. So that's the kerygma. And if that's the kerygma, if that is the gospel, the good news that because of Christ's work on the cross, you and I need not fear. What then might we glean from this text? For as we read a moment ago in that parable, or the collect that Jim said was one of his favorite collects, all Holy Scripture is for our learning. All of it. Read, mark, and inwardly digest it. What then do we do with a passage like this? Well, if we know the kerygma, if we know that there is now, therefore, no condemnation, instead of reading this text as a threat, we might see it more as an invitation. An invitation to take risks for Christ and his kingdom. If we're already safe, if we're already secure in Christ, if we are already promised that his is a love that will not let us go, then we have the freedom to, as Luther said, sin boldly. Sin boldly. Now, what do I mean when I say that? I'm not, when I say that, I don't mean that gives me the liberty to just start disrespecting my mother. <laughs> if you knew my mother, you would, you would know she deserves no disrespect. But also, like, you know, for baby Jay, who, you know, the day after his ordination gets sick and, and, and can't even come to church, uh, baby priest Jay, you know, I, I don't have the liberty to just, like, start making fun of him now. That's not what Luther meant when Luther said, now we have the freedom to sin boldly. No, what Luther meant is that now that we know that we are safe, now that we know we are secure in the love of Christ, we can take risks. We can act boldly for Christ and for our neighbor until he comes again. Where do we see an example of something like this, of what Luther meant by sin boldly? Well, Maybe you're familiar with the 21st or 20th century German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian who, during in Nazi Germany, was one of the few who really stood up to Hitler. And Bonhoeffer was a pacifist. Now, not all of you are pacifists out there, but he was a committed pacifist. But he came to the conclusion that by doing nothing and letting Hitler take lives and just wreak havoc. He was equally implicated or culpable of sin. He was doing nothing. And so what he decided was that in his freedom, in his security in Christ, he became involved with a group of people who tried to assassinate Hitler. Now I'm not telling you to join a group that tries to assassinate dictators or anything like that. That's not what I'm trying to say. Maybe not the best example, but I think it's actually a good example because Bonhoeffer has this conviction, and we all know it, right? This is the law, thou shalt not kill. There really isn't an asterisk. Like we always put that, oh, just war theory, whatever. There isn't in the scriptures. Thou shalt not kill, and yet here is someone who's killing. So I've got to throw a spoke, I've got to throw a a stick in the wheel and a spoke and stop this. That is what 
sinning boldly means. That is what taking a risk means, is not knowing for sure at times. Like, will this have the best outcome? Will this work out the way I want it to? The person with the five talents, the person with the two talents, they, they went for it. The person with the one was afraid, chose security and safety, and buried his talent in the ground. So the wonderful news of this text, when we're convinced of the kerygma and we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, is that you and I can use the gifts that we are given, and there's not just one way to use them correctly. I was told when I was a kid, there's really only like one way. Like, put up the Ten Commandments on your wall and just follow them. And the Ten Commandments are a good thing. The law is holy, righteous, and good. I'm not trying to say they're not a good thing. But if you notice, even in this text, right, the master says to the servant, well, at least you should have given the money to the bankers and it would have made him interest. If you know anything about the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, you're not allowed to do stuff like that. Interest on things, that's forbidden. So it's kind of upending, like, what, how, what do we serve? Well, we have freedom here. Keep awake. Keep watch. Use your gifts. And instead of being so self-consumed and obsessed with your own personal holiness, which is a good thing, look outward. What does the world need? What does your neighbor need? How do you serve Christ until he comes again? We, my friends, unlike the third slave in this parable, we need not be afraid that our master is harsh. For we have been given everything in Christ. Our master is the one who traded places with us, who went out into the outer darkness, who experienced the weeping and the gnashing of teeth so that we might be forever embraced, forever loved, forever secure. And so now we're free. Free to take risks for Christ, for his kingdom. We can risk losing it all. For if you read this text closely, we're even free to take risks where we lose talents. You might have your gifts and you'll lose. You'll try something and it won't pan out. But because you're safe and you're secure in Christ's love, so be it. And ultimately, we can make these risks. At times, misguided business ventures... Because we know that when the master comes back, the master will say, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. So while in first reading, this text may seem harsh and tough, and it is for effect, when we read this, we read this as an invitation to break down our walls, to not so just clutch at security and safety, the very things that are kind of holding us back and killing us, but we can boldly serve God and our neighbor because we are loved and loved forever. In the name of the
Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.